0: Well, good morning, Grace. I will tell you for the, um, pray for your elders. Uh, pray especially continually for Tom. Standing in this place is a very, um, very humbling. And in some ways, especially considering the subject matter that I've been dealing with lately, a sort of terrifying thing um, when you're really considering the holiness of God. Um, thank you for the reading of the Word. Um, in, in looking at Psalm 99, um, it's a, I know it's been mentioned before, but psalms are songs. So we're going to be talking a whole, whole lot about something that was meant to be sung. Um, so, in, But I, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's a good thing because very often the, the people that were singing, the Jews that were singing this at the time, understood probably this in ways that, that we sometimes don't. So obviously it's good to look and to dig in. Uh, But if we're thinking about uh, this psalm, Psalm 99, as a song, um, it's a a song almost like in a symphony with a movement. It has three pretty distinct parts, and in each one of those, there's that refrain, holy is he, holy is he, our God is a holy God, kind of separates the sections of these psalms. Uh, This psalm is is seen as by many that, that have read this psalm. Um, as uh, the holy, holy, holy. It's, they have a word for it. It's a try something. I don't know the word right now. I'm not going to try it. But, uh, but it's one of those psalms that, that repeat that, that refrain three times, kind of like the, the seraphim that are around the throne singing holy, holy, holy. Now if I was thinking about this as an actual, as an actual song, maybe um, maybe a, uh, some classical, classical work, and don't get me wrong, I'm not like a crazy music guy that, that knows all of this. I had to look some of this stuff up. Um, but it explodes onto the scene. Some songs start a little bit slower. This one absolutely explodes. It's kind of like Beethoven's rendition of Ode to Joy in his Ninth Symphony. Uh, the dun, 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 dun. It's very powerful. The beginning of that movement just jumps. There's a couple of little interludes, and then it's a choral explosion. Um, so it's kind of like that. It begins with um, the, uh, the holiness of the Lord and says, The Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. So it explodes onto the scene with the reigning of God. Um, so these, these sections we're going to look at, um, as we're looking at the holiness, we're first going to look at the section of the first section of God, and that's His, exal- His exalted holiness. And I will kind of give you an idea of, of what we're going to do with the psalm um the, the first section, we're going to touch on his exaltation as king, but our, the, the bulk of our time is going to be spent on focusing on the holiness of God. Because of all of his attributes, and we'll, we'll get to how I, I think that that's actually a bad term for his holiness, um, it's one of those that are probably the most misunderstood. Um, before we do, I, let's, I, I do want to pray again real quick just before we jump in. So pray with me, please. Father, I thank you uh, for the opportunity to stand before the people of God. Lord, I pray that, um, that you would use the things that I've studied or not, that you would simply use your word, and please, Lord, use your servant who feels his weakness right now to proclaim that word. It is your word that changes lives. It is your spirit that gives new life. So, Lord, I pray, that you would do that in this place today through this very weak man in Jesus name amen so this first section um, is the his exalted holiness so all of those three sections are like I said are, are, are one glory there's one glorious refrain holy is he the holiness of God is at the blazing center of this entire psalm so defining it, it, it actually the holiness of God defines and prescribes everything else that actually is in this psalm, which is, is glorious. So the first section says, Yahweh reigns. Um, obviously you guys in, in the ESV and in, in your copy of the scripture says the Lord. When the Lord is capitalized like that, that word does mean Yahweh. This is the covenant name of God. Um, that particular word and I do encourage you to uh, find some way to begin to see what some of those words for God are. They give a nuance to understanding what those mean. So this is the covenant name of God, the I am that I am. And I think there's a very good reason why Yahweh is used in this psalm. Uh, so who does this exalted king reign over? So the first, this is the first section that we'll be dealing with. He reigns, let the peoples tremble. This peoples is More than likely, it's a word that means nations. Um, So in contrast to the Jewish people, the covenant people, Yahweh's chosen people, these are the nations sort of like the Gentiles. He reigns over the Gentiles. In the next one, it says, and it says, the Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. So the response is trembling. He sits, uh, the Lord is great. We're going to go back up to the, the cherubim in a second. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all of the peoples. So not only is God this exalted reigning holy king over over all of the nations, it's over his nations, it is over all the peoples. But not only that, this exalted king is also the king over all the heavenly beings. And we see that in he sits enthroned upon the cherubim. The cherubim; these are one of the words that are used for the angelic beings, and these are kind of. It's uh, if you if you go and you look in scripture, they're they're typically guardian angelic beings, and they are also very often found in the throne room of God, closest to God Himself, in the in Ezekiel in Ezekiel's vision, which is. Very apocalyptic in the, its use of imagery. It actually talks about in his visions of the cherubim with the four faces and four wings, which come, uh, come into play in Revelation as well and also in Isaiah. They're full of eyes. They move with wheels within wheels. So the throne of God is seen as being composed of these living beings. But God sits enthroned upon these living, powerful angelic beings being as close to God as probably any other uh, angelic being he still reigns supreme over those angelic beings so he and then as we move down what is then the response the response is let them praise your great and awesome name for holy is he and this is where we're gonna spend uh, the bulk of our time because there are many there are a lot of misconceptions about the holiness of God when you think of the word holy, uh, what color do you think? Have shouted out. But what color comes to mind when you think of the word holy? Yeah, I, I, think, I, I see it. It's white. Okay. So if you think of the word holiness, and that's the when just as humans, as people that have to interact with God, that God speaks to, we have language, and that language is always going to have a context. So when I say the word that God is holy, it's going to give you some sort of impression you're going to think about something he's holy well maybe he's white okay well then what does that word white symbolize if we would say what does it mean if you say god's white okay that color white probably think of the word of something that has to do with purity so which is true so t- t- thinking about god as it that sort of communicated is God's holiness in the sense of moral purity and is God morally pure in other words is he clean is he free from sin absolutely Leviticus talks about this I'm the Lord your God consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy I'm the Lord that brought you out of Egypt be holy because I am holy in numbers remember to obey all my commands and to be holy to your God in Corinthians therefore come out from them and be separate says the lord don't touch any unclean thing and i will receive you I'm getting very thirsty. In Psalms your statutes lord stand firm holiness adorns your house for endless days. So the idea of moral purity is it's not wrong. It's just I think incomplete. When we talk about god is holy, holy is he, it doesn't quite It's not the full picture. The next one is the holiness of God as being set apart, Um, that he is separate and that he is set apart. That has a, uh, the word Kadesh has a rich and layered meaning. It represents a concept of sacredness, separateness, consecration, holiness does actually mean these. The idea of being set apart or consecrated for a special purpose. So that is a meaning of holiness. And that's probably part of the things that we think of if it's holy it's set apart Um, a lot of the instruments in the in the temple worship were said to be holy some animals were holy or clean and others were not some of this for i am the lord your god consecrate yourself be holy for i am holy some of those are the same there is none like the lord there is none besides you there is no rock like our god talking about the unique set apart nature of god exodus says who is like you o lord among the gods Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. This probably gets closer then, I think, to the essence of what it means to be holy. But there is more to it than that. God's holiness is actually much, much more than that. In a sense, when we think about God's holiness as moral purity, when we think about it as set-apartness, it almost is a negative con context it's almost what he's not he's not sin he's not okay like us okay understand that but what is he God is holy in order for you to try to help try to help you to understand a little bit and this is something that helped me people use all kinds of analogies all the times and you know, sports analogies, all things, I'm not gonna do that. Lord of the Rings analogies, I would definitely do that, Lord of the Rings guy. But, um, but this is gonna be a science analogy. Um, hopefully not a very boring one. But um, have you guys, are you familiar with black holes? Okay, okay, you've probably seen a movie about a black hole. Gosh, what was that movie? Interstellar. Interstellar, yes, one of the coolest movies that I've watched in a long time that have to do with black holes. So there's actually April, I think it was 19, April 10th, 2019. We actually got our first picture of a black hole. They were able to actually see it in the, the center of a galaxy. Um, so, so, so black holes, what are they? So the first off, black holes are an impossibly compacted object. There's a lot that we don't understand because a lot of physics and the laws of physics begin to break down when you start getting to something as compact as it is. It's so compacted that it's described as a mass of infinite density. Density describes how compacted something is. It's of such density that's said to be theoretically infinitely dense, and that's, that's crazy. In other words, all of the emptiness, every single bit of it, and then some emptiness that maybe wasn't even there has been squeezed out. It is impossibly solid and with that it also has an impossibly strong gravitational power so it pulls and pulls and pulls it's so powerful that even light itself bends back in and actually can't escape that's how powerful the gravity of this infinitely dense substance is Um, so i want you to uh, we're going to do a little exercise i'm going to try to help you to imagine a basketball-sized black hole descending into this very room, what would happen? <laughs> I'm going to invite you to close your eyes to, to hear this, but um, you don't have to. I'm not going to force you to close your eyes. This is going to be in the relation of John. A, um, somebody that's, Is there a John in here? Good. It's probably a good thing because uh, John is not going to be very happy. John sat in his usual spot at the back of the church. The sermon had barely started when he felt an odd chill creep over him. He lifted his gaze from his lap and he saw it. A sphere of pure darkness the size of a basketball hovering midair. His heart pounded in his chest and the hairs on the back of his head stood up. He blinked, rubbed his eyes, but the sphere remained. It seemed to pull at everything, light, sound, even time itself. His senses seemed to warp and distort around it, creating a reality that felt more like a fever dream. The familiar creakings of the pews sounded off and the light filtering in through the windows began twisting and spiraling towards the darkness. The church seemed to be folding into the sphere. As John rose from the pew, his legs felt heavy. The second seemed to elongate and stretch out as if he was struck in a slow motion dream. His grip tightened and the room started warping around him. The wood of the pews undulated as though they were made of water. In the deep silence that blanketed the room, John could hear his own heartbeat thundering in his ears. The piano strings hummed and trembled, and he could swear the music played in reverse. His eyes locked onto the cross at the back of the church, which now looked distorted and wavy like a mirage in a desert. Then everything began to intensify. John felt an immense pull towards the sphere, the sensation growing stronger and stronger and more irresistible. He watched as the church collapsed inward, the once robust structure now seeming as fragile as a house of cards in the wind. An inexplicable dread filled, filled him as he realized he was not just observing this phenomenon, he was part of it. As the church disappeared, consumed by the sphere, a sense of weightlessness overcame him. His reality contracted, focusing down to the point of the sphere until, in a blink, the world he knew vanished. That's kind of terrifying. I, I don't want a basketball-sized black hole to descend in the middle of our church. But what if the sphere could actually speak to John and tell him something about why he was here or what was going on around him, what would he say? So the black hole speaks. The darkness spoke, its voice deep resonating through every fiber of his being. John, my friend, don't be afraid. Despite the chaos enfolding around him, John felt a surprising calm as he listened to the sphere. It was like hearing an old friend, someone who spoke with both authority and understanding. I'm not here in anger, nor am I here to simply destroy, the sphere said. Imagine your world as a balloon filled with air. Each bit of space, no matter how large or small, contains something. Now consider me as a hand that gently squeezes the balloon, pushing the air out to make it more like myself. John felt a strange sense of relief. There was no malice in the sphere's words, only a patient, almost melancholy explanation. It wasn't trying to destroy, destroy, merely change. I am what you might call a collector of spaces, the sphere continued. I bring them together, eliminating the empty. It is my nature, John. Just as you breathe and walk, I pull things in, making them more like me. The sphere's words washed over John, oddly something soothing, even amidst the chaos. It wasn't a senseless act of violence, but a process of transformation. It didn't make the sight of the church folding into the sphere any less terrifying, but it made it somewhat more comprehensible. I'm sorry for the disruption, John, the sphere said finally, its voice echoing through the now almost empty church. But please understand, I'm simply being what I am. I take what's spread apart and bring it close. I make it whole. When what I am and emptiness meet, something must change. I hope you understand. A black hole asking John to be not afraid is really, doesn't make a whole lot of sense because the particular transformation that the presence of a black hole would do to a human being is compacting them to nothing and killing them. So, you know, not being afraid of the black hole maybe doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But the point of that was that the black hole, in this sense, was not lashing out in anger, something that was not arbitrarily. It was just mad at the church and didn't like the way that it was. The black hole was simply being in a place that was very different from the way it was, and its power was such that it was going to change everything around it, and squeeze every bit of that emptiness until it was exactly like itself. And it was just because of what it is, not because, again, that it's simply angry. The presence of a holy God, and our God is holy. The first section, the second section of this psalm, talks about the justice of God. The presence of God in a broken, fallen, cursed, sinful world full of sinful people is a weighty and a terrifying thing. And it makes the effects of a black hole seem like nothing. God's holiness, in particular His holy justice, in the presence of anything that is not holy compresses much more than the physical, souls are laid bare, intentions are revealed, All of the emptiness body soul and spirit is exposed confronted our weakness our sin our rebellion more than that our nothingness in comparison to who he is is exposed we are undone simply by his presence it is who he is he is holy and we are not when the presence of a holy God invades this space It is not a happy thing. You don't believe me? In Exodus, the presence of God in Mount Sinai. Do you remember when He descended on Mount Sinai? What happened to the mountain when the intense presence of God descended? Thunder, lightning, a thick cloud. The mountain itself began to smoke and tremble. Yahweh Himself speaks directly to the people of Israel, the Ten Commandments. Do you remember the the response of the people of Israel? Do not talk to us anymore. When the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood afar off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but don't let God speak to us or we will die. In 1 Kings, God's presence passes by Elijah, causing a great wind, shattering rocks, followed by an earthquake and fire isaiah sees the lord in a vision the train of his robe fills the temple with smoke causing him to cry out in fear when when isaiah sees yahweh lifted up he says that he's lost that word he says i am lost i am an unclean man in the midst of unclean people but that word means he is absolutely unraveled he is cut off stricken dumb destroyed completely and utterly undone In that moment Isaiah pronounces a prophetic woe upon himself that's the only time in the Bible that that a prophet has pronounced woe upon himself because God in his holiness was present Daniel and these are just in contact with holy beings had a vision of a heavenly being. This could have been a pre-incarnate Christ. He's left alone and trembling. All of his strength leaves him. He falls into a deep sleep. It's almost like he passes out with his face on the ground. He can't even stand up until somebody touches him in the presence of god mountains quake the hills melt away the earth trembles and its people are destroyed who can stand before his fierce anger who can survive his burning fury his rage blazes forth like fire and the mountains crumble to dust in his presence that's nahum and in revelation when all of creation is standing it has to face the white throne judgment of god do you remember what happens What is the description, the apocalyptic language that God uses? It says that when he sees the white throne and the one seated on it, earth and heaven flee from his presence and no place is found for them. That is why this king in the first section is exalted. It is not because he decided to somehow climb higher. It's not because he's better. He's not better than the angels. He's not better than the angels. He's not better than you. He's not higher than you. He is completely other. That word itself, better, higher, greater, are words that we have to use. We have to use them in comparison to God because is He in our language? Yes, He is. But God is holy. He is holy, other. There is no category. In the category of where God is, there is one, and it is Him. That is why God is the holy and exalted King. Because it's who He is. There is none like Him. When we then consider the justice of God, the King in His might loves God. Justice. he loves justice you have established equity you have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob exalt the Lord our God worship at his footstool holy is he the psalm says this king loves justice that that, that intimate relationship between him and justice the idea of that is he is God he is a holy and just God justice flows from him he establishes justice. He is the foundation from which all justice springs. He is the very definition of what just is. When he walks into a room, the unjust is and the unrighteous is judged by his presence by him being present in the room that's why isaiah they didn't have to say anything the angels didn't have to say isaiah you're guilty isaiah you're dirty you're bad guy they said holy 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 filled the room with the presence and the glory of god and isaiah said i'm undone Uh, you don't have to say anything to me when job is confronted by god God uses a whole lot of words to confront Job. He really does. But the presence of God coming in, he's like, I spoke. I said things that that are too wonderful for me. I put my hand over my mouth. I'm not speaking anymore. I'm not speaking, not in the presence of this God. I thought I knew you. I knew you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you and I repent in dust and ashes. He is the definition of what justice is. John Wilsey, in talking about the wrath of God, he says God's wrath, which is His response to injustice when He comes near, is not an emotional outburst, something that's out of control and seeking only to destroy creatures out of selfish vanity remember the black hole god's wrath is rather something that is quite controlled even a response to refusal on the part of men to ascribe god glory the wrath of god is under his sovereign mastery the wrath of god is the working out of divine glory upon those who refuse to give him glory The working out of the holiness of God against those who irreverently, godlessly do not acknowledge Him. He also says that the Christian may understand holiness is not an attribute of God. A person's attribute is understood to be addition to his being. That being an attribute, that being an attribute of an individual is equal to his personal essence. God's holiness is is his essence divine holiness is understood to be the character of god it is who he is indeed holiness is the name of god for this reason holiness is not superior to his attributes it is the eternal and glorious strength or meaning of them all god is righteous because his essence is holiness When he walks in, it's not that he is right and you are wrong. He is the absolute definition of what is right and what is wrong. And in his presence, you're wrong. You're just wrong. You are not him. You are not God. At the core... Of all of our rebellion against him is that we want to define what is good and what is right we want to be the God of justice we want to be God this is exposed whenever he comes near our ideas of justice very often has have, have to do with what's fair what's right what's wrong have to do with what is good for me what fits with me what makes me happy what, what what's good you want to see you want to know how my justice was working out this morning um i was really really oh gosh justly righteously angry at my dog this morning um when he was whining and I had to go and get up because he didn't have any water. And then I was angry again at him because he wanted to drink forever. And then I was angry again with him when he didn't was wanting to pee on one of my plants. All of that anger, that oh so righteous anger. My dog is 14 years old. His kidneys are failing. And I am angry because of that. That's part of what my justice in that sense looks like. That is what creaturely justice looks like. It's about me. Make me happy. Even the laws of this land. Think about how judges interpret the laws of this land are supposed to be impartial, but they're then interpreted by judges and defended by attorneys, all of which are unrighteous. And it's all about getting what you can for who you can. Our sense of what is right and wrong is about what makes me happy. That is not justice. It shouldn't even be called that. When God says He is the God that is just, He walks in. All of that falls apart. Every bit of it falls apart. Our greatest problem, the greatest problem of mankind, is not what we do. Do you believe that? I know we're sinners, and we sin all the time, right? We do. And is that a problem? Yeah. Are we sinning against each other? Sure. It is not, But it's not about morally fixing ourselves or making ourselves better. That's not our greatest problem. We don't need some sort of moral renovation. We must be completely changed. We have to be different. Our biggest problem is that we are not holy. We're not. And God is. And guess who is the sovereign over everything? God is the first part of the Psalm. He is the exalted King over all of creation by essence of who He is. This is His. All of it's His. I'm His. You're His. This building is His. The air you breathe is His. Everything belongs to him over all creation. He declares mine. I have no idea who said that, but I love the quote. It is mine. All of it is mine. And our problem is that we are not holy. This holy God is coming. And we're not solid enough. We're not. If I were solid enough, I could walk up to that black hole and I could pick it up. And it would be cool to my touch. We would really be attracted to each other if I were solid as it was. I mean, I'll just grab it. But it would not hurt me if I were solid as the black hole were. But I'm not. I'm not. Too many empty spaces in me, squish. Church, apart from Christ, and Christ is coming. Christ is coming in this sermon, too. Apart from Christ, you are not solid enough. We are not holy and our God is holy. He is holy. We live in a world that is weak, sinful, fallen, frail, empty, broken, undone things. And we simply cannot exist in the same space as our God can. In the same space as this King in this kingdom mankind's greatest problem she said what is our greatest problem she said that you're a bad guy your greatest problem is God mankind's greatest problem is a holy God it is not that I do bad things it is God himself a God that will not compromise that will not change he is who He is, Yahweh, I am that I am. I do not change. I will not change for you. I will not change my definitions of what justice is because He will not change Himself. When it says, I am God, I do not change, He will not deny Himself. And He is a just God. So what is our response to this? Well apart from Christ, terror, absolute terror, and we'll get to that as well, but also worship. This God is highly exalted over all things. Pastor Tom was saying we have a low view of God. We're a proud and haughty people because we don't understand the holy nature of our holy other God through which all of his attributes absolutely flow justice is not the only attribute of god that is empowered by his holiness think for just a second about his omnipotence god is not the strongest again (laughs) yes no there and no is he the strongest being in the universe that acts like he is in competition that he's the one that worked out the most he is not the strongest in the room He is a holy, omnipotent God. There is no competition with Him when it comes to power. None. He has it all. Every other power in the universe is dependent on His power. He sustains everything, even Satan himself, one of the most powerful archangels that there were, right? And are. Satan is very powerful in this realm compared to God. He's not. Think about what defeats Satan at the, end of the de- at the end of the age. When Christ comes in, does he get in a wrestling match with him? Does he pull out a sword? And uh, There's a sword analogy there. It says he is destroyed by the breath of his mouth and the brightness of his coming. In other words, Christ shows up, Satan loses. That's it. There's no fight. When God shows up, his strength and power is omnipotent. It is holy. There is no fight. Again, different category. We're not in it. We're not in it. What about his omniscience? He knows everything. He can't help but know everything. He is holy, omniscient God. Of course, he comprehends everything. Everything that ever happened would happen. Everything, complete circle for him. He knows it all. Why? Because he is a holy God. His knowledge, he didn't study longer. He did not he knows it because he comprehends it all sees it all in one one look this is not hard for him it's not hard which makes the idea that god didn't know things that little branch of theology and didn't know things trying to figure it out is an absolute ripping of god's holy nature he's sovereign how could he not be he, he can't not be sovereign. He is the sovereign king, whether you bow the knee to him or not. He is your king. He is over all. It doesn't matter what you think, it doesn't matter what you want. This God is also an eminent God. We're going to read this last part. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel also was among those who called upon his name. They called to the Lord and he answered them. In the pillar of cloud, he spoke to them. They kept his testimonies and the statutes that he gave him. Our Yahweh our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their wrongdoing. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at His holy mountain. For the Lord our God is holy. God's love is also holy. A holy love how many of you have struggled with the idea of he loves me he loves me not he's happy with me he's not happy with me God's love is not like our love God's condescension and this part speaks very very sweetly of his condescension he spoke to Moses did Moses fail him yes he spoke through Aaron did Aaron fail him yes he spoke through samuel did samuel fail him absolutely yes he did he speaks he sustains them as he speaks this god whose words when ringing out would destroy a mountain and unravel all of creation and have the peoples begging for him to stop just like the appearance of the the christ coming in judgment mountains fall on us and hide us from the face of the lamb that's coming. This God leans close and whispers, whispers, so that His mediators, His priests, are not destroyed. But this psalm reminds us that all of these mediators failed. All of them did. But God, in His holy love, being rich in mercy, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in christ so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable richness of his grace and kindness towards us in christ jesus for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God in the ultimate display of his imminent holy love, the holy second person of the tr- trinity veils himself in weak, empty flesh, and he walks among us. That by itself, what a condescension talk about the incarnation do you feel it deeper now oh god help us to feel this the condescension god becoming one of us this god this god this god who is holy omnipotent holy omniscient holy righteous holy justice holy love comes that low that speaks of this holy love he forges out for us a righteousness that we could not earn on our own. He becomes our representative. He becomes man and does what man could never do. But not only that, because remember, God, God justice and rightness flows from Him. God can't overlook the sins of man. Why? Because He would deny Himself. And he will not deny himself, so instead, he takes care of the problem himself. On the cross, when our sins, the sins of his people, were seen on Christ, he did not spare his son. All of the holy justice crushed his son. And if there were nothing but unrighteousness, if there were nothing that was not holy in him, he would have been obliterated by that. But he was not. It says that he would not leave his holy one to corruption in the center of all that crushing he was still God. So he could both be crushed for all of the sins of his people, but at the same time, being God, holy God, he could not be destroyed. He could not. He could not be obliterated because he was holy and he was God. So again, God raised him. And now, and now, it is faith in this god this christ this work on our behalf that saves us because who we are is the problem we must be born again we need the spirit of holiness to bring about the birth of something new in us flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of god not because it's doing the wrong things because it is the wrong thing we are the wrong thing we can't walk there we are ghosts we would be nothing we would be a smudge on the bright solid holy glorious land we can't exist there not like we are the only hope that we have is to be something else we must be something else which is why christ said nicodemus you must be born again you have to be born again you can't be what you are. You have to be something else. So that at the end of the day, when everything is burned away, when, we, when Christ comes, if we are present when Christ comes, and He comes in judgment, there must be something in us that cannot be destroyed it talks about the shaking he's coming to shake again so that all the things that can be shaken will so that what cannot be shaken will remain will you remain when he comes and he shakes because this god who loves justice and executes it is coming This God who has loved and mediated that love through Moses, through Aaron, through Samuel, through prophet after prophet, and ultimately through Christ, offers us a hope of a new life that is holy. It is what we long for. If you're a Christian, to the believer, the one that's born again, born from above, who has had the heart of stone removed and has been given a heart of flesh, the one that has that treasure that is in a jar of clay. Worship your king because he is holy. Behold this holy God and be transformed more and more into his image as we behold our God, that new birth, that seed that on the day he comes will explode into reality. And all of this and all this weakness will be swallowed up in life and victory that seed that little that little part that part of us that is the most real part of us that we have grows as we behold Christ in his word and in prayer and in fellowship with others to the unbeliever consider the position that you're in you cannot hide you cannot run you cannot make excuses because your problem is you You cannot run from you. And on that day, the justice of God, when He comes in His glory with the holy angels, there is no hiding. Everything will be revealed. For the ones who are Christ, we will be revealed for who we really are. All of our failings, all of our doubts, all of our fears, all of our, am I really his? Am I not his? All of it burns away. And then everything that I wanted to do, but had to fight. I have to fight to be better. I have to fight to get in my Bible. I have to fight to love him the way he deserves to be loved. All of that now is ours. And it comes from the power of a holy, resurrected life that flows out of us. There is no temptation for us anymore. We're beyond being tempted. We have everything. We have Christ. We have holiness. All that bleeds out of us comes from then who we are. All the devils in the entire universe could array itself with every temptation. It would not tempt us because we are holy as He is holy. But if you are not, If you are not, the actual opposite happens. Everything that is good is taken back from you. And you are shown to be who you were the whole time. Unholy and nothing with your fist raised against God saying, I will be God. I will decide. You will not. God have mercy. Let's pray father god we thank you so so much for the gift of new life lord forgive us when we have thought small weak thoughts about you god you are a holy 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 god lord i pray that you would that the reality of the holiness of who you are would permeate everything that we do in a greater and greater way let grace church be known as a holy people a people who desire to be like their savior and lord for those who do not i beg you i beg you by your spirit to open eyes to draw them draw them in give them a new identity give them a new name a name that only you know and a name that will survive when you come in judgment and explode into life on that day. Thank you for doing exceedingly abundantly beyond anything we could think or ask.